0: Welcome to the VergeCast, the flagship podcast of Answering Machines. I'm your friend David Pierce, and I'm on vacation. As you're listening to this, I'm probably in an Airbnb in the woods of Pennsylvania, pretending to read all of those books that I bought, but ultimately probably just scrolling through TikTok, watching videos of outtakes from the office, because that's what I end up doing on most of my vacation. And honestly, no complaints. It's not a bad life. Vacation or no vacation, though, we still have a great show for you today. We've been really enjoying getting to answer a question from the VergeCast hotline every week, but the truth is we get so many good voicemails to just do one a week. So today we're going to do a whole bunch right in a row. We're going to answer your questions about iPhones and Pixels and Threads and Instagram, Macs and Windows, security cameras, and lots more. Turns out a lot of people have buying questions, so we're going to just tell you some stuff to buy. As always, the hotline number is 866-VERGE-11, and you can also email all of your questions to vergecast at theverge.com. Thank you truly to everyone who calls and emails. Hearing from you is my absolute favorite thing, and doing the hotline is frankly my favorite part of the show. Lots of hotline coming up in just a second, but first, I gotta go watch more Office Bloopers. Have you seen the ones about the Plasma TV from the Dinner Party episodes where he's just pushing it into the wall? It never, ever fails to make me laugh. It's the greatest thing.
1: I guess
2: what surround sound means is that, right over here, Jim.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Check this out. Folds.
0: (laughs) Right into the wall! This is The Vergecast. We'll see you in a sec. Support
3: for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com designed for work.
4: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, You want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
0: All right, we're back let's get to the hotline. Our first question might be the wonkiest question we've gotten in a while, and I love it for that. It comes from Clay in Cincinnati.
5: Hey, VergeCast. This is Clay from Cincinnati. Uh, Last week, I bought a pair of Sony WF-1000XM4 headphones, and today I figured out that their LDAC audio codec is not enabled by default. So, I turned that on, and I think there's an incredible difference. So, my question is, What's your all's favorite audio codec? Or do you think that worrying about codecs is more hi-fi, snake oil stuff? Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, I brought in Chris Welch
0: to answer this question. Chris, I assume you know why you're here.
6: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love to talk audio codecs. Oh man, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, hit me with it. Well, timing is everything. Clay, I hope you held on to your seat, because by the time you hear this, Sony will have announced the new WF-1000XM5s. And you can read my review on the site. They're great. They're not that different. They're a bit smaller, a bit lighter in your ears, sounds a bit better. So if you can do an exchange, it's going to be worth it. As far as the codecs go, it's not snake oil, but people spend way too much time worrying about this stuff. You know, like how your headphones are tuned and like designed factors in just as much as like what codecs they have but I do like LDAC. If you can turn it on. So it can hit 990 kilobits a second in theory, but most phones don't ever do that. Like when you pair Sony headphones or earbuds with your phone, by default, it usually goes for like 660 uh, kilobits per second, which is still better than like, you know, Spotify or whatever else. So if you've got Apple Music or Amazon Music or Tidal or QO Buzz, I never know how to pronounce that one. That's not a real thing. I refuse to believe that's a real name you just said. (laughs) I swear it is. There's a very passionate community. They all serve very high resolution Audio. So if you pair that with an LDAC-capable earbud, uh, there's aptX HD, same kind of thing. It can hit similar bitrate, and you can hear it different. Some people, not everybody, again, it just kind of comes down to your ears. But if you had those earbuds, you might as well use the feature and enjoy it and get the most from your purchase. But yeah, I think we spend a lot of time just kind of uh, worrying about the ins and outs of, of these codecs too much these days. I think that's right. So
0: one thing I've always wondered is kind of where on the ranking of important things the codec is, right? Because obviously, if you're going to spend a lot of time worrying about your codec, but you're going to wear like AirPods that only halfway fit in your ear, like you're you're worrying about the wrong problem, right? Yeah. And if you're buying a $15 pair of headphones at CVS and you're worried about like the quality of the stuff coming from your streaming service, you're also worried about the wrong problem. So, kind of where along the line should I start to worry about the codec? Like the very first thing is headphone quality right like seems like worry about that before you worry about anything else the second Mm -hmm. thing would be basically like quality of what
6: your streaming service
0: can theoretically provide
6: right and if you have a spotify all this is still for naught because they still don't even do lossless uh we hear it's happening finally sometime soon it'll probably cost more money than it does now um so if you have a spotify i wouldn't worry about it period but if you've got uh, say apple music or amazon music then you can start to kind of uh, factor that into your uh, buying decision. And I okay. think it's also like budget. If you're spending below $100, I can't imagine like that it really matters that much, uh, Codex, versus if you spend like $200, $300 on a set of earbuds, you want to know it checks all the boxes just because you're spending that amount of money. So why not? That's fair.
0: But at least in my experience, these Sonys are good enough that our friend i don't think this is pure placebo i think to some extent you turn on like you flip the switch that says make the audio fancy and -hmm. you're definitely like primed to hear the fancy audio right yeah but i think we have enough quality in those sony headphones that they will do enough of a different thing on the better codec that you might actually notice it right this is not pure nonsense yeah no okay not
6: at all if you've got the ear for
0: it go for it what is the verdict on the m5s by the way how do you feel about them
6: Good. Uh, they're not that different from the M4s, which I'm sure Clay will be happy about if he's stuck with M4s. But they're lighter, smaller, sounds a bit nicer, slightly better at uh, some noise cancellation on streets and like voices and things like that. But there's no like new tent pull feature. They're just a much sleeker version of the M4s. All right, Clay, I
0: hope that helps. Welch, before you go, I got an email this morning that I did not tell you about, but I want to read to you and I want you to respond to it because oh it makes me very happy. Okay. This email comes from Matt in Switzerland. Uh, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase because this is a very long and very lovely email, but it takes a while. Basically, our friend Matt says, this week I had to say goodbye to my great OLED 4K TV. I, it's It was one year old. I spent hours comparing and analyzing, and then the cat jumped into the TV and destroyed it. So Matt says, we are on the market for a new TV. My boyfriend wants to prove to me he can do it. It scares the hell out of me. I've heard him say Samsung several times. We are already using Samsung for phones and watches, but dot, 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 Samsung TV, question mark? And I would like to know your thoughts. Samsung TV, question mark?
6: Yeah, uh, there are two ways to go with Samsung. I think uh, people love the frame. That's obviously this huge hit these days because people don't like just how heady TVs are most of the time. So if that's a concern, the frame is great. It's gotten a lot better over the last few years. It's got a matte screen now. It looks like artwork on your wall. And then Samsung also makes uh, some nice OLED TVs over the past couple of years if you want to spend a lot more money. (laughs) Yeah, in some ways they're better than LGs. Very sorry to hear about the fate of your one-year-old OLED. That's rough. Yeah, losing your one-year-old 4K OLED is a tough, (laughs) tough beat. You buy it. You think, I'm going to have this for the next like decade at least. And then, uh, (laughs) oof, Cats. Do you have any tips on cat resistance for televisions? Mount it, I guess. I that's mean, yeah. Though cats are pretty nimble, so who knows? There's no there's <laughs> no surefire behind, solution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just don't have cats. That's that's my answer. Uh, yeah, I think the Samsung
0: answer seems to be Samsung makes good TVs, but you probably are going to pay too much for them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of my
6: my read on Samsung TVs most of the time. Cost a lot of money in the softwares, eh? So uh, just plug in your preferred uh, streaming box and pay no mind to it. Fair enough. All right, Chris,
0: thank you as always. It's been a pleasure. Next up, because I think every time we do this, we have to talk about the Apple Watch at least somewhat. We have a question about the Apple Watch from Ben. Let's
5: hear it. Hi, my name is Ben, and this is a question for V. I'm training for my first marathon, and my five-year-old Garmin watch is getting long in the tooth. I'm tempted to switch to an Apple Watch, but I'm concerned about battery life. Can I get away with an Apple Watch Series 8, or would I need to go with the Ultra to go that route? Am I going to need to baby the battery life and turn off useful features to get through a long run? Thank you very much. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye. All right. V song,
0: our expert is here to answer this question. V I, I assume you're wearing all of these watches right now. As we talk
7: about this. I, I am wearing a Garmin and I am wearing the Apple watch ultra. So I feel qualified to answer this question, but also congrats Ben, on training for your first marathon. That yeah. is a huge accomplishment. You can get away with using the series eight battery-wise, for an entire marathon. You just are going to have to be a lot more mindful about charging and charging schedules. So you are going to have to go like, oh, before you go on a run, make sure that's topped off. And it has fast charging, so that's not bad for that. But it is a little annoying because you do have to be more conscious of the battery if you do go for the 8 than you would be if you went for the Ultra
0: do you think it makes you run faster? Like, is it, is this like a useful <laughs> motivational tactic where like, I have to finish this race before my battery dies? Um, when
7: you get to
0: mile 22. It's like I have 15% left. Like it's go time.
7: I think I think if you're at mile 22 and you're bonking, you're just not going to give a crap about (laughs) your watch's pattern. Like it it might actually be better if it does die on you, because then you can be like, well, I have no idea how much time (laughs) is left. I'm not going to be just speaking from personal experience. You're not going to be going like, oh, my God, I only went 0.5 miles. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, my God.
0: I think the rule is you finish the marathon when your battery dies. That's whatever whatever the time was then. That's your marathon time. Congratulations.
7: Yeah. Uh, it also, I'm going to say it depends on what Garmin Ben is coming from. Because if you are coming from a Phoenix or if you're coming from one of the really higher end forerunners, I just think you're going to have a more analogous experience if you do go with the Ultra because the Ultra has it just has more it's bulkier too so you might just have that same comforting weight but in terms of just like the actual metrics you're going to be getting you know the health and fitness app are basically the same for either watch it's just mostly that with the ultra you are going to get better gps so if that matters to you then yeah you you are going to want that because you have multi-band gps which you know all the higher end garments are doing at the same time now so yay great but the other thing i'm going to say is that there is a low power mode and then there's an ultra ultra low power mode and so you're not really going to have to give things up if you decide to use low power mode with the series eight just because it's all it's going to do is turn off your notifications turn off all that stuff and you don't want notifications in the middle of training anyway so it's fine It's just kind of going to be a little more annoying because it's not going to wake up quite as quickly and all of that stuff. But you are still going to be getting continuous GPS and heart rate unless you go into the super low power mode, in which case it's going to take it less frequently. So that's totally up to you. That's really more for ultra marathoners, you know, the super DC rainmakers of the world who are just like, make you feel real bad about yourself when you see their training regimens. Any Apple Watch, like base level Apple Watch, it's going to last you a marathon. Provided that you're running this marathon in like the six hour range, six hour or less, which is most people like a fast marathon, a fast marathon runner is going to do sub four, which... (laughs) Good, good for you guys. I don't have that long capacity. <laughs> but, yeah. Like my marathon uh, time, I haven't run one, but my projected one, according to Garmin is like five hours, 45 or something like that, something obscene. And I have, you know, friends who have run marathons with Apple watches been totally fine. You just have to be more conscious of the battery. So if that's not you, if you don't want to baby it, if you don't want to think, don't want to think too hard about the battery, go for the ultra. I, I, I use the ultra as my daily driver and in running, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So there you go.
0: I like it. I do think the low power mode thing is a good hack because, A, for the exact reasons you described, it actually turns off a lot of things you're going to want off when you're running yeah. anyway. Like, this is true on the iPhone as well. It's actually a pretty good sort of quick make my phone bother me less button. Because it just turns down a lot of background processing. It doesn't pull for notifications as often. It doesn't ping your email as often. It just sort of calms your device down a little bit. And that's useful both on the phone and the watch. And it, at least in my experience, purely anecdotally does a ton for battery life. So that's a big win.
7: And you know like how EVs have range anxiety smartwatches have battery anxiety when you are doing continuous uh, GPS exercise. So if that really is a concern, I am going to say the Ultra is going to give you a good time because I ran a half marathon in (laughs) a very slow three hours. It was was not my best half marathon time, Uh, but I only lost 15% battery, not on low power mode, nothing, nothing done. So I only lost 15% it was the whole 13 miles. So take what you will from that. You just won't have to think about it. You won't have to worry. So if it's quote unquote, just a marathon, either will be fine, but the ultra will alleviate that concern for you a lot more confidently.
0: Got it. Okay. And the, the other thing I'm wondering is the this switch from, I've been using Garmin for a while. I'm thinking about making the switch to Apple Watch. What do we think about this idea? Good idea? Bad idea? I feel like if our friend Ben was calling and saying, I run marathons every weekend, I'm thinking about making the switch. I feel like I would actually try to talk him out yeah. of switching to the Apple Watch.
7: I, I would. Like, So the main question I have for Ben to think about is how much do you want the smart features? Because Garmin it has a better training platform. It's very information dense. Do you need all that information? No, even the professionals don't need everything that Garmin is going to get you, but it is a lot more comprehensive. I find that the daily suggested workouts on the garments that I test, they find them really helpful because I'm like, oh crap, I don't know what to train for. Oh, you're telling me to do, you're telling me to do 31 minutes at a slower pace based base pace. Cool. Great. And it helps you kind of track your recovery a lot more effectively than an Apple watch. Well, an Apple watch, you have to be more hands-on with your training, which may be something that you want. The data is going to be a lot more streamlined, which I find helpful. Like what's not helpful is me saying that I think the best of both worlds is to use both and just <laughs> string with both of them at the same time. But yeah, if you are super hardcore into the data, the garment is going to be better for you. But if you want apps that work, if you want better connectivity with your phone. If you want greater control over what notifications are going to annoy you all day, then the Apple Watch does make a lot of sense and is the smarter choice because the, the number of notifications I get on this Garmin that do not matter, it's, it's very high. It's very high. Do you want a smart experience? Then yes, this makes sense. But if you want the fitness first experience, the Ultra is great. It's just not going to be as who as the Garmin. And I know people who are making the switch in both directions, going from Apple to Garmin, super happy. And then going from Garmin to Apple, super happy. So it's just a matter of what your priority is.
0: Yeah. They do. They do land in surprisingly different places. It's like the, the Garmin is better for the things that it does, but the Apple watch does more things, right? Like it's, it's a pretty, and the thing is, it seems to be mostly self-selecting. So I feel like Ben, if you know, you want an Apple watch, totally cool. Lean in, uh, but also garments are very good. Also, V, before we go, I just want you to note that Buzz Aldrin tweeted a picture of himself the other day on the 54th, I think, anniversary of the Apollo 11 launch day. And he's sitting there eating a plate of steak and eggs, and he has three watches on. Oh. And... All I could think, literally my first immediate thought upon looking at this picture was Pff, V's probably wearing four watches. <laughs> I just want you to know this, this is your legacy, V. Congratulations.
7: Yeah, double wristing, double watch hands. That's how you know I'm, I'm the real deal. Double watch stands year round. There we go.
0: It's, it's a life. All right. Well, Ben, let us know how the marathon goes. Good luck with the training. V, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Next up, we have a question that has actually made me think a lot of things and feel a lot of feelings over the last few days. It's from Dave, who I promise is not me throwing my voice. Let's hear it.
5: Hey, so I'm a dad now. You can call me Dave. My family budget is pretty tight. Food has gotten very expensive. I've always wanted the latest and greatest, but I've been rocking an iPhone 12 Pro for a couple years now, and it's great. The battery needs to be replaced, but... Anyway, I'm debating about whether to just get like a free iPhone 14 and get the 15 and have payments and all of that. And I'm really feeling like there's a pretty significant argument to be made for getting a free iPhone 14, except, you know, the 36 months of waiting and what happens after that. So I don't know. I would love the verge. All
0: right. Allison Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you. You can just feel what, what Dave is going through here, right? Like yes. there's, there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in this decision. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this and have come to, I have a pretty strong opinion on the right answer here. But before I rant and rave about what I think Dave should do, I want to know what you think is the right answer here.
8: Yeah, this is a tough one. I do see the argument for the free 14, especially a 14 Pro. The way I see the 15 and the 15 Pro is kind of... You know, based on the rumors, like the regular 15 is just kind of getting in line with what the 14 Pro offers, but it sounds like we're going to get the higher resolution camera dynamic island. You're not going to get like a nicer screen, but that's Apple. And then the 15 Pro, it sounds like is going to be more fancy things. Telephoto periscope camera,
0: potentially USB-C,
8: USB-C. That is the big exciting one. Dave already has some Lightning cables around, so, you know, probably that's a, a wash. But yeah, I I kind of went back and forth. I think a free 14 Pro would be a smart move. It all just depends on what carrier deal you can find. You're going to sell your soul to your carrier either way. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm curious what what your answer is.
0: So, my stock phone buying advice is Buy the best phone you can possibly afford and keep it as long as you possibly can. Right. So by that advice, the answer is wait for the 15, right? We've hit the point of the year where anyone who's like, what phone should I buy? I say none. Wait until September. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there will be there will be new Samsung phones, there will be new iPhones. You can make a much more rational and informed decision at like the end of October about the whole phone landscape. If you know you want an iPhone, wait until mid-September, they'll come out, there'll be a new iPhone, buy that one. And especially now, I feel like the normal age I would expect a phone to be is probably like four years. I think if you've had a phone for four years, you can consider that phone to have like lived its best life, time to upgrade, buy the best phone you can, and plan to have it for four more years. That said, I believe firmly and strongly that the correct thing to do is get a free iPhone 14. Yeah. A, because it clearly sounds like money is an object and a free iphone 14 is going to be a terrific phone that probably will still last you four years but b i think this USB-C transition is going to take a while i think back to when we all went away from like the 30 pin ports in the iphone Mm -hmm. that took a while everybody had docks there was all this stuff in like the hotels going to lightning was annoying for a couple of years and you had to have dongles and you had to buy all kinds of new stuff and eventually the world transitions and it works I kind of don't want to be at the very front of that change if Mm -hmm. I don't have to be. You and I will be because this is what we do for a living and we're (laughs) like phone sickos. But for most people, like you have cables, you might have a dock, like your phone probably connects via a certain cable to your car and lots of other things and i think actually the next phone after this one that you buy this year is going to be the one you want to try a bunch of new stuff with and Mm -hmm. granted there might be things in the iphone 15 that we don't know about that are amazing and cool and blow everybody's minds but rumors that i've seen about the pro are basically like new chip titanium frame which could look cool Mm -hmm. there might be an action button like on the watch ultra which i'm very excited about but the USB-C port is the thing right like that's gonna be the big shift and that strikes me as something to actually be a couple of years late on instead of being super early so i've come down really aggressively on the get the free iphone 14 and be very happy with it for a while inside of this
8: I like that. Yeah. And you may have the right cables for your phone, but like what are you going to encounter in the rest of the world? So yeah, let the dust settle on USB-C for a little bit, you know, get that good carrier deal for the 14 Pro. I traded in my iPhone 11 for a 13 mini this year. So like I'm all for getting an, an older iPhone and just like coasting as long as you can get your money's worth.
0: Just my my only real advice is don't buy an iPhone mini. That's like whatever <laughs> you do, do not buy an iPhone mini. Don't
8: be a sicko like me for small <laughs> phones. RIP battery life.
0: If you want a phone that's gonna last a few years, don't buy the one with the tiniest battery and worst processor of the bunch.
8: <laughs> but it's so wonderful.
0: <laughs> I know it does, it just fits it fits nicely in your hands.
8: It's in my it fits in my pocket. But yeah. It's settled. Get a free 14.
0: There we go. Done. And it is true. I will say, if you want a 15, wait until like, what would you say? Early 2024? And all this stuff starts going on crazy sales anyway. And there's a decent chance that whatever free offer you're getting now for the 14, you'll probably get for the 15 at some point. So if if you can hold off and really want the 15, but price is the question what do you say wait nine months if you can and you'll probably get it
8: yeah i would say hold off like if the battery's holding up just keep an eye out for the deals hold on to it as long as you can i think the the deal i got on the 13 through verizon was like halfway through this year they just sort of were like wow we have these phones you might you guys might as well have a free one so hold on
9: yeah
0: i like it all right allison thank you let's take a break and then we're gonna get some more questions
3: Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So, whatever you do at your job, Canva Presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn, it's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva Presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
4: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before,
0: All right, we're back. More hotline questions. We have a couple on threads because everyone is talking about threads. Neil Patel is here to talk about threads. Hi, Neil.
2: Hey, I love talking about threads.
0: You're my you're my threads guy. This is this is what we do. <laughs> so we we got two emails that are both about threads, and I want to talk about them. So the first one is from Steven. It says the honeymoon phase of threads will be over soon enough, and ads are inevitable. So I ask, do you think threads would do a plus subscription where we pay two to three dollars a month to go ad free? To sweeten the deal, Threads Plus could also give us extended time to edit more pins and the ability to schedule threads and mass delete slash archive them. Your
2: thoughts, please. Basically, the question here is like Threads Blue, (laughs) (laughs) question mark? Twitter Blue has ads, right? True. A huge part of the problem for all these companies is they make so much money on ads that paying money to go ad free almost never makes economic sense, but paying money to see slightly fewer ads makes a lot of sense. Right. I do think you'd have to pay more than you
0: think, generally speaking, to not see ads on the internet.
2: Well, it's a weird problem. So the answer to your question, Stephen, is yes, but not Mm ad-free. Meta is already doing paid verification on Instagram. You can see how they might just extend it and put some features behind a paywall. I think all these companies are interested in revenue, and if they can actually make Threads successful, I think Meta is better at saying, hey, pay us money for features than Elon Musk and Twitter are (laughs) at this moment in time. But there's just a weird problem in the business model where ad targeting works if you can target someone who's likely to buy something and they're hard to reach right that's what sets your ad price so if you have ads for everybody that's great you have a lot of people you're likely to hit who you want to reach if you let some people turn off ads you're letting the people with the most money turn off ads cuz that's who's going to pay the money so you you like reduce the pool of your ads if you let the people pay money to see slightly fewer ads you've reduced supply, and the price of those ads goes up. So there's just a weird problem in the pricing curve where getting to ad free doesn't make any sense, but getting to ad light makes a lot of sense, and I bet one of these social networks is going to figure that out soon. That's really interesting. It also seems like I feel like
0: there's a weird thing that happens when you get rid of ads or let people pay to get rid of ads where you're sort of tacitly acknowledging that ads are worse than no ads, and I think Meta in particular goes way out of its way to never acknowledge that ads are bad, right? Like it is, it is a foundational belief of that company that ads are good. And so I yeah. think even the idea of letting you do that and sort of pay for the privilege sends messages that company does not want to send.
2: Also truly Given how threads is right now, what doesn't have free threads even mean? It's like the brands are there, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the commercial <laughs> messaging is happening there. It's like it's down to whether it can be you can pay money to target it better, not right. whether it's there at all. Can the Nugget account pay money to have even <laughs> more
0: posts in my feed?
2: Yeah, exactly. All right. Next one.
0: Uh this email is from Dewey. Dewey says, I find it endlessly fascinating that Threads is a project helmed by a subsection of the Instagram team, Mosseri, rather than having it be overseen by any other team at Meta or their own product team. Any ideas why it's a product overseen by Instagram and not Facebook or Messenger? I assume it can't be its own team yet because it's still unproven. Do you think that would change if it actually does become a Twitter killer or will it always be under threat of being absorbed in Instagram?
2: That's a lot. That's a. It's like a good decoder question. It just is a good question. Jump. It's yeah. just an org chart question. Yeah, it, you could also ask why isn't it part of Facebook? The combination of Instagram and Threads right now is the Facebook newsfeed. Yeah, it really is. It, it's just like kind of funny that they've they've split it apart and made two products inside of Instagram that recapitulates the original product. Yeah, here's what I'll say. I, it's part of Instagram because the code base of Threads itself is Instagram. Right. So if you look at the version number of the Threads app. I think it's like 291 or something, and Instagram is at 290. Hmm. It's some number like that. The exact number might be wrong, but it's, it's some increment of the Instagram version number because the underlying code base is Instagram. Then I think it's a small team inside of Instagram because that's where you can insulate it. If you made it its own team, it would have to sink or swim without the resources of the larger thing. And I think Instagram is where the kids are. Instagram doesn't already have it. Text posting feature in this way. If you made it part of Facebook, people would be like, I can already post to Facebook. You make it part of Instagram, you get the cooler, younger brand, and you're adding what feels like a new feature to celebrities who are already using that product in that way. And I think fundamentally, you want want that team to be as focused on the product itself and not, is this a business? Do we have to add all these other features to make it a business? You're just take what you need from Instagram and and start from there is a much smarter decision.
0: I also think if you're going to pick a meta social graph- to start with, Instagram is the right one. Uh, And we've talked about this on the show, right? But I think my Facebook account is just like a morass of people I haven't talked to in a decade, because that's kind of when I stopped using Facebook. But people still sort of actively engage with their Instagram graph in a way that I think a lot of people don't on Facebook. And I don't have data to back this up, but it certainly feels true that if you just wanted to pick a list of people and things and brands I'm likely to find interesting, betting on Instagram as that sort of startup moment is much smarter than betting on Facebook. And I suspect that's true for most of the people Instagram and Meta would like to have on threads at this moment.
2: Yeah. Instagram is and Twitter, for that matter, are one to many broadcast, right? You are LeBron James. Right. And people follow you. That's true. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no reciprocal following. And Facebook is all supposed to be all about your friends. Right. And so, you, you, yeah, you already have that graph and you already have that user behavior. It's like, here is where celebrities and brands will talk to me, which is what happens on Instagram.
0: I will say if it hits, you know, a billion users, this team will get much bigger and it will probably separate from Instagram in some meaningful way. But I, I suspect that's an org chart thing more than anything like most people will notice over time.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It, you know, it's their first from the ground up social network that is successful in quite some time. Yeah. And since th- Facebook. <laughs> and I think the fact that it's part of Instagram means that Instagram stays relevant, which is very important to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like what, what we don't want to do is like let billion user social networks quietly die over time. Right. You want to keep them alive and keep them relevant. And Instagram is the one that has been the most relevant for the longest time next to YouTube.
0: So reels are coming to threads
2: sometime soon. <laughs> there's going to be, I think, I think they'll get closer together rather than farther apart.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Neelai, thank you. Let's get to some more questions. Our next question is an email and it comes from, I believe it's pronounced Tade. I'm sorry if I get this wrong. Jen Tui, back from vacation. Welcome back to the Vergecast.
10: Hello, always happy to be here. Best way to restart my working week.
0: (laughs) There you go. Let me read you this email because I actually think this is a really interesting one and uh, matches a question you and I have talked a little bit about on this show before, but let's just get into it. So the email says, I'm in the process of buying a few indoor security cameras for my home. Nothing too fancy, mostly just for when I'm on holiday or have the cleaning lady come by, which I actually argue, by the way, is like the perfect way to describe what an in-home security camera should be for. Anyway. As you can imagine, this feels a lot like inviting someone into your home, so choosing a brand can be difficult. I have to mention I'm from Europe, so some of the U.S. brands, albeit with seemingly good offers, sadly lack the app support here. Do you have any clear suggestions? I'm mostly concerned on the privacy slash security front. Then Tade has a bunch more questions about UFI and Xiaomi in particular, but I think the big question here is like, if I'm coming at the camera question from security first, what should I do? What do you think?
10: Yeah, well, and I can relate to this question because having just come back from vacation, I did set up a few cameras before I left because normally my recommendation is not to put security cameras inside your house. Personally, I feel like they're great on the outside, but inside can get a bit dubious unless you follow a few practices and be concerned here about privacy and security. So that the good thing is there are a lot of solutions to this particular problem the straightforward answer about security and remember so there's two sides here there's the privacy and there's the security now the security very much focused on which company you buy from do you trust their security practices you know high profile well known companies ones that are going are the ones that are under a lot of secu- scrutiny so generally I think you can feel quite comfortable buying from a well-known company,
0: so are you talking about like the the apples and rings and Googles of the world, like the simply safe kind of folks
10: right uh, you know and for Europe in particular you've got i think most it's, it's interesting that he said that there were a few that he couldn't go for from America because he's in Europe. A lot of the big security companies camera companies do come you can get in both countries so rings available in both um tp links brands tapo and casa are available in both arlo google nest so you've got a pretty broad option and then you've got eufy and there's also acara which is one of the xiaomi brands so there are a lot of good options here and i would say any of these you know that are from well-known companies do not go and buy a no-name brand of amazon for twenty dollars or twenty pounds or twenty euros (laughs) And stick it in your house. That's just not a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, there's a few key things you should look for. You want to always look for a, a camera that has two factor f- authentication so that if there is any social engineering or hacking or anything going on that, you know, someone's trying to get into your camera feed, you're getting, you're going to get an alert or a warning. Um, so that's, you know, key. But then the other thing is end to end encryption, especially if you're concerned about the potential for a company to, view your videos. Obviously, this is one of the big issues that has been around uh, Ring and also Google with the police partnerships and the potential for you know your footage to be subpoenaed. If that's something that concerns you, end-to-end encryption is something else you definitely want to look for. Security as a whole, though, I mean these big companies have security researchers, you know, banging on their doors, trying to figure out holes and they should, you know, and fix and patch. And that's why if you do get a security camera, always update your firmware, you know, whenever there's an option. And most cameras nowadays will have the option to turn on automatic updates so you don't even have to worry about it. It'll just keep updating in the background. But from from a European perspective, and if you want a smart security camera that is entirely private and, you know, local, doesn't go to the cloud, because that's kind of the cloud is where you start to enter that attack vector because your data is being streamed outside right. of your home. There is one really good company that I would recommend, which is Natatmo. Their kind of focus is entirely on privacy and security. There is no cloud involved whatsoever. It's all done locally. It's all processed locally on the device. It is not, does not have as many of the bells and whistles as some of the other cameras might have. And it's not as high resolution. It's a slightly older camera. But if all you're interested in is checking on your cleaning lady and the potential of someone coming into your house when you're not there, it's, a great, it's got a great feature. It has facial recognition and um, you can set it so that it will only record if it sees someone it doesn't know. So it's on all the time but it will only record when it sees someone it doesn't know, or you can set it to only record if it sees your cleaning lady so that it does record your cleaning lady. Although if you want to record your cleaning lady, you might need to have a conversation with her.
0: <laughs> yes, tell your cleaning lady, yes.
10: So, I mean, I, and you can also use your own, you can use cloud with an mode, but it's your own cloud. So you can upload to Dropbox or an FTP server or iCloud. It does support HomeKit secure video, which would be my next suggestion here home secure video is one option that gives you a cloud gives you some of the features of cloud video recording but is end-to-end encrypted because all of the device all of the data that needs to be processed in the cloud that's why a lot of camera companies send their data to the cloud so for people recognition or to tell you whether it's a dog or a plastic bag that's caused a motion alert on your camera with Apple HomeKit Secure Video, that's all processed on your Apple Home Hub. So it's all processed in your home, not in the cloud. But you need an iPhone for that. So if you don't have an iPhone, HomeKit Secure Video is not not going to work for you. But HomeKit Secure Video does work with a number of different manufacturers, including Logitech has a camera, uh, Eufy has some cameras that are HomeKit Secure Video, and also Acara, which is the Xiaomi brand, Eve and Netatmo. So there's quite a few options there. Overall, though, I think if you're really concerned about security and privacy, you want to record locally. That's the thing to look for. So if none of those brands kind of float your boat, there are a lot of brands that you can just record to a micro SD card on the camera. And Acara is one that has that option. Tapo and Casa also you can do that. Google Nest and Ring, there is some local element to those, but not as straightforward as just a little micro SD card. Wise has that option. Not sure you can, I don't think you can get Wise cameras in Europe though. But in terms of a smart home security camera for indoor, as I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of them. But one thing I would recommend strongly if you are going to do that is get one, he mentioned getting lots. I feel like that's, you know, it's a little weird just to have (laughs) cameras all around your house. A good solution is a pan and tilt cam. So that, you know, you put it in a central place and it can pan and tilt around. Um, so Acara again has a, a good option there. A Yuffie has one too. A cara one is really cute. It looks like a little cat and you have the option in the app and there's a number of cameras that have this option to just turn off the camera remotely and it just its little eyes close, <laughs> and the camera rolls away. So that's another good option to look for if for an indoor camera, one that you can shut off remotely um, and automatically have it turn off, say, when you come home, and then turn on when you leave. So that way, you're not going to end up with random pictures of you walking around in your underwear. So if there was the concern about security, if there was, you know, you may have bought from a brand that you trust, but then they have a major security breach or a data breach, you don't have to worry that your private footage that you care about is likely to be um, exposed. You've got, you know, hopefully only recorded when you weren't home. So and most good security cameras these days have some feature like that that will turn off when you come home, turn on when you leave. The downside of that is if you're at home asleep... And someone comes into your house, your camera's not recording, <laughs> so this is why I like that Natatmo one that you mentioned at the beginning because it 's always recording sorry it 's always scanning it's always looking, but it only records when it sees someone, so which is a really neat feature.
0: You answered all of my questions. I think the one other thing I was thinking is, does it make sense if you 're going to do an indoor camera? To have it sort of disconnected from the rest of your smart home system, because I'm just thinking that is like the most high stakes thing that would be in your smart home. So I almost don't want to connect it to anything else in my smart home, just as another sort of way of walling it off from everything else that if you're going to have a whole bunch of stuff on a Nest system. I'm like, screw that, buy a ring for this and just run it on a completely separate version of your smart home just to kind of air gap it as much as you can from everything else. Does that make any sense?
10: Well, I'm not sure that it would necessarily, that that the camera itself is going to do something to the rest of your smart home. I mean, I think the biggest concern about the camera really would be the footage, right? So that's what you don't want people seeing. One thing I have seen people do, especially when you use HomeKit Secure Video, is So the way HomeKit Secure Video works with Apple is you can just put your camera into your Apple Home app and not, in some cases not use the company's app at all that it came from. But in the case of Eufy and Akara, I believe you have to or at least get most better benefit from using their app as well. But people, a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want it all processed locally. So what you can do is go into your router and turn off... The Wi-Fi access for the camera so that it can only go through Apple's servers and there's no chance of it using a separate server. And so that's, especially if you're using local recording or some kind of NAS device or something, and you want to know that it's only in your home and it's not being sent off somewhere into to someone's servers, you can, you know, disable its Wi-Fi access. <laughs> that's a pretty, you know, that somewhat requires a little bit of technical expertise, but not a lot, especially if you have a, a mesh router that gives you the option to pause internet to certain devices. Um, you can also get devices that monitor traffic from your smart home. So you could see if a camera was talking to its cloud. So that, that's a good option.
0: Okay, we need to take one more break, and then I think we can do a few more questions before we get out of here. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
0: All right. Next up we have a laptop question. Monica Chin is here to answer laptop questions. Hi Monica. Hey. I feel bad for just dragging you in here constantly to help people buy laptops, but the people need to buy laptops. So <laughs> we're we're gonna keep doing this. This person did not give us their name, I don't think, but let's let's hear the question real fast.
5: Hey David, and hey the rest of the birdcast. My question, and you probably get a lot of these. Is So I have a 2019 MacBook Air. It's got an i5 processor. I got the base model, which I think was a terrible idea <laughs> four years in. So I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to upgrade computer-wise. I have a basic, like, PC, but I'm, I'm on the fence. I like Mac, but I just feel like for my money, I want something to where it has more processing power. So as a person that's trying to, like, possibly go back to school – I need a little bit more computer with computational capabilities what macbook is it that i should go for and my budget's probably around like i think the max i could probably do is like three grand and then pc wise what options do i have like i know you can get a lot of pc for under two thousand dollars. so like in your guys perspective what's a good like laptop to go for because I, I like all the bells and whistles i do like the damn rainbow keyboards they're so cool but I want something to where it works with my lifestyle to where I can do casual stuff and I could take it on the go, but it also has like good battery life as well. And if I need to do some stuff at Excel, because full transparency. I am an accountant. It can actually do what I needed to do. Anyways, that's a mouthful. I hope you guys are able to answer my question. Thanks and have a great one.
0: This question is a lot and I love it for being a lot, but, I feel like what this boils down to is kind of like everybody's computer question, which is basically like, I need a computer that's like as good at everything as possible. $3,000 is a pretty big budget, actually. Uh, So I'm curious, like, let's start on the PC side, because I think that's probably the trickier question to answer. Where would you send our friend here?
1: Well, what I would actually say is this is a little bit of a tough question to answer because I don't actually have a great sense of what you're doing with it. And so if I had you in front of me, I'd be asking you, like, what exactly are you doing? What I get from what you want is Excel. That was like the main thing that you mentioned that you would need, like, quote-unquote computational power for. And for that, I would honestly say, I mean, if you're already using a MacBook Air and you want to stick with – you want to be under 2,000 – if you're if you're trying to go back to school, you probably want something portable. You're going to be carrying that to and from school. You want battery life, as you mentioned. That is really hard to find on the PC side. We can get into that shortly. But my honest recommendation, with the the only info I have about your, your lifestyle being you need it for spreadsheets, I think you stick with what you know. I think you get the Air. I think you get the M2 Air. Like, that can do your spreadsheets. <laughs> like, I had actually a very similar conversation with my dad about this a couple a couple months ago because he was like, he's into similar and He was like, I need to do spreadsheets. And, you know, I just don't know if the MacBook Air can do my spreadsheets. And I was like, Dad, get the MacBook Air. It can do your spreadsheets. He got it. It can do his spreadsheets. He loves it. He has no issue. That
0: is true. And especially if you're coming from a 2019 i5, the jump to the M2 is going to, like, blow your mind.
1: Yes, that is really slow. If you, like... Have tried had tried the M2 before and like found that it was a limitation and you and you were wondering if- like that might be a case where I'd say, OK, you might want to think about going up to the M2 Pro or M2 Max, um, but that is such a jump in price. And it's such a loss of portability. I mean, if you're again, if you're going to school, like back and forth, you're going to classes, you're like sitting around the cafeteria. Do you really want to be carrying that like 16 inch? I mean, that's just it's so much heavier. It's really not that much fun to lug around. I really don't see a reason not to get the air. That is sort of what your answer is, is screaming at me.
0: That tracks. But let's say in theory, we want to go windows here.
1: So if you want to go Windows, it is hard to find battery life on Windows these days, especially if you're looking for what you call computing power. Um like if you if by that you mean you want something with a discrete GPU, for under 2000, my best recommendation is going to be the Zephyrus G14. That's a gaming laptop. I know you didn't say you want to play games, but in all honesty, if you're looking for battery life, like that is some of the best you're going to get. It's like really ironic that that's a gaming laptop but that's just how it is in the current landscape the Zephyr's G14 is so the best is one of the few devices that has like real GPU power that also has all day battery life so that is what i would be looking at um it does not have an RGB keyboard but it does have a backlit keyboard that you can do some like fun effects with and you probably can't get this for under 2000 dollars but if you end up going above that, you can get a lid that has some fun little lights on it that can do kind of cool stuff. So if you're looking for bells and whistles, it does have that option. It is gonna be a little pricier.
0: They did say they like the funny the fun colors. So get some fun colors.
1: There are a few laptops as fun as the Zephyrus G14, but again, that <laughs> model is really is gonna be a little over the budget that you gave us. But even under that budget, you know, the keyboard is still it's a fun keyboard, you know, it's got it's got a fun little font. Um, it's got some fun keys on it. You can get G14s that come in different little designs. There's like an Alan Walker model that comes with a DJ deck. <laughs> there's nice. some there's some fun special editions that you can um you can look at. They're gonna be a little more expensive, but I think because they you might be able to get some for under two grand if you do a little bit of digging on Best Buy.
0: So yeah, I think the more we talk, the more I think you're right that the the M2 Air is the safest choice, and I agree that there are. We've definitely reached the point of like, I'd like to be able to ask some follow up questions, because it's like if you want extra power, it's like, okay, well, are you more likely to want that or to want the thing to last, you know, eight or 12 hours? But here is my last question. And I think this this is important. And I forgot until just now when I was trying to spec this thing out that this matters. 13 inch or 15 inch air? Because now you get to choose.
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. Honestly, the difference in power between them is not huge. Um, like it's there's a, the 15 inches like a little did a little bit better on our benchmarks. I don't know if the kind of spreadsheeting you're doing is going to make a huge difference. I think that's honestly it's going to come down to how big of a screen do you want for your spreadsheeting, <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> and you know there's 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 a non-negligible weight difference between the two as well. So you may want to factor in you know how much are you going to be carrying this around, you know on campus or to other places that you go during the day. Um The 13 inches certainly more portable if you're going to be on the move. Um, The 15-inch is not, like, it's not not portable, but it is heavier. I'm a little less happy when I have to put it in my backpack. There's a little bit of a difference. And so those are some trade-offs that are ultimately up to your preference. The one other thing, if you're looking at Windows and you don't want, if the Zephyr's G14 is, like, too clunky for you and you want something a little bit thinner, um, the other thing to look at would be the Dell XPS 13. That is much more on the portability side. That's a very thin, very light one. You know, if you have like a backpack full of all your school books and whatever, it's really easy to slide that in. That's going to be much closer to carrying around a MacBook Air than it is to be carrying around a Zephyr's, which is going to be a little bit thicker. That battery life for me is like close to all day, but not quite all day. For you, it might be different. Depends on your workload. But that is some of the better battery life you can get as well. It is not close to the battery life they'll get from the MacBook Air. But if you're looking for like a MacBook Air size, but with Windows, that is what I would point you to.
0: Okay. Yeah, I just went in while we were talking and I spec'd out a 13 inch M2 MacBook Air with 16 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte SSD, 1800 bucks, way under your budget. I suspect you will be thrilled with that computer coming from an i5 2019 Air. Yeah, I think that's the one.
1: Especially if battery life is your priority, that it's it's going to be really difficult to beat that combination of like portability and battery life in pretty much any other line for the with the budget that you have.
0: And it will crush your spreadsheets. Don't even worry about <laughs> it.
1: Like I, I have a MacBook Air. I use it for spreadsheets all the time. I wouldn't worry too much about it. But it, you, if you, if you're worried, you could add in some extra RAM, extra extra stuff to make sure that that can handle it.
0: Totally awesome, Monica. Thank you. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. All right, let's get to our next question. Allison, welcome back.
8: Thank you. It's good to be back.
0: We got so many more questions. The people keep having questions about phones, Allison. I
8: love it. I'm here. I'm literally here for it.
0: I love it. All right, you have not heard either of these. So Uh let me play you the first one, and then we'll go from there. Okay.
5: Hello, this is Shravani from India. I just do want to know that I am using a Pixel 6a. So is it auto upgrading to Pixel 7a or I will wait for Pixel 8a or uh, 9 something?
10: Thank you.
0: We love an upgrade question here on the Vergecast. Oh, I love it. This is a good one, right? Because we just spent a bunch of time saying like, if you have an old phone, here's when you should get a new phone. But this mm-hmm. is, this is last year's phone and this year's phone. Worth the upgrade?
8: I, I say hold on to the 6a unless you are like a wireless charging stand. Because mm. that's, in my mind, that's the big upgrade with the 7a like there's a lot of other stuff but no i think that 6a is gonna be solid for like a couple more years at least that's my hot take don't buy a new phone
0: i like it and i think google has done a pretty good job of keeping these phones updated for a while so i think you've you've got at least another couple of years of solid updates and the thing will continue to work and google's so invested in the software anyway that it feels like the pixels have been kind of the rare phones that do a good job of getting appreciably better over time yeah and so i i I feel good i'm kind of with you yeah that is good stick with the 6a i think it's the right call here's hoping google cares about the pixel long enough to make an 8a please (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right let's get to our next one which is substantially more philosophical than the other one
9: Hey, guys, this is Mark from Houston. I'm comment that David made, it was like a week ago on VergeCast, uh, and he talked about how he felt that the Nothing Phone 2 sort of represented a sort of shift back into maybe like the old days of Android, where there is a lot of different competition and a lot of different interesting phones. And I was wondering... I feel like a really big part of what made phones interesting in the mid 2010s uh, were really the fact that we had a ton of like you know Chinese phones and re- even Indian phones and so I assumed that with a change of administration that we'd maybe see you know some sort of movement on that front but I was wondering are we ever going to get any phones from Huawei or Xiaomi or Oppo back here in the US, or is that sort of just doomed to never come back? Um, because I really do feel like it's providing an interesting sort of competition here. So anyways, I was just wondering if you guys had any updates or if you guys could maybe show us or talk to us about that. So I like this
0: question in part because it references things that I said on the Vergecast, so congratulations to me. <laughs> but uh, I think this is really interesting. What I don't want to do is like, make political predictions, right? because so much yeah. of this is wrapped up in in politics and things change really fast. I would say if you like forced me to guess, I would say the relations with China are not going to get immediately better. yeah, but the world changes quickly, who knows? But I do think one of the things we talk about, I think not enough on this show is the fact that the US as a phone market is so much less interesting in a lot of ways than all of the rest of the markets in the world. For exactly the reason that they're describing, and I do wonder if you think about it that way. Like, is it is it a bummer that we don't get kind of the full breadth of what's out there and is available to us? And is there a chance that like more American companies might try to do in this market what is happening in other markets around the world?
8: Oh, I have so many feelings about this. Yes, like <laughs> it is a bummer. There are so many, especially in foldables, like there's so many more options thinner you know cheaper that we basically have two foldables here and they're expensive as all hell yeah so i think there's a few things going on like obviously the relationships with china and i i don't see that changing anytime soon either it's also the carriers i think have yeah have the manufacturers kind of under their thumb and it's really a bummer (laughs) i feel like it just has resulted in like We get the kind of phones that Verizon and T-Mobile and AT&T think they can sell, you know, at every price point. And that's kind of all there's room for. And you've seen things like even when LG left the mobile space and they didn't have like massive market share, we were kind of like, oh, now they're chanting, maybe Oppo will come in here. And Samsung just like shut that shit right down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we are exactly where we were before, but with less algae.
0: Yeah, I I do think it's, I forget about the carrier thing sometimes just because like I live in the US and I'm sort of used to the way that it is, but it is so unlike the rest of the world in that basically like the way most people buy phones is they walk into their carrier store and they trade in their existing phone and they get a new phone and they leave. And that's, that's why people by and large don't switch ecosystems. It's why people mostly don't change brands. And it's why a couple of companies, namely Apple and Samsung have been able to essentially just corner off the market for themselves. Whereas other places you can just, like walk into a store stick your sim card in and poof you have a new phone i wish the world worked more like that in the united states but it really doesn't seem like there's any chance of that getting better and we even talked about this with carl pay like these companies are desperate to find a way to make like unlocked phones work in the u.s and i just don't see any way that's gonna happen anytime soon do you
8: No, I, I think it's a mess for them. And I sympathize, you know, when coming into the U S and trying to like sell an unlocked phone, you know, without the benefit of those carrier deals, the trade ins that they can do the marketing. Like it is just such an uphill battle. And yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for more options in the U S. And yeah, I think the carriers could do better. Like I go into a Verizon store is literally like, here's the iPhones. Here's the Samsung phones. There's a few other phones like over here and ah, it stinks. (laughs) 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 I agree.
0: Are there any, as you you look out across sort of the rest of the world, if you could hand pick a couple of phones to bring to the U.S., does anything come to mind? Is there anything you like Mm. lust after as an American that you can't have?
8: Yes. The Xiaomi kind of flagship phones, I think like the 13 Ultra is the latest one. They have that one inch camera sensor and just fully embrace the like camera-ness of the phone. I have this photography kit that you like attach all the stuff to it, like a shutter button. It's it's fun. I mean, is it the best idea? Is it something a lot of people are going to buy? No. Right. I would call out Xiaomi, but there's a ton of stuff out there.
0: Yeah. Well, and that that exact thing is kind of the thing that I think the US market is missing the most, which is different ideas about phones, right? Like at this point, it's Pixels, it's Galaxies and it's iPhones. And Basically, those are all the same thing, right? They have slightly different ideas, but they are functionally the same devices doing the same things the same ways at this point. And I kind of wish there was somebody out there doing what like Nokia did a bunch of years ago, being like, what if we just made an enormous, way too big camera and that was your phone? Like, is that anything? <laughs> or if somebody was like, what if we put a TV antenna on your phone? Is that anything? And then LG's <laughs> like, what if it had wings? Is that yeah. anything? And I just, so much of that still happens in the rest of the world. And we don't get any of it here because everybody is just making these kind of like lowest common denominator. How can we sell three phones to 300 million people kinds of decisions? Mm -hmm. And the smartphone market is much weirder than U.S. people would know. And that kind of makes me sad.
8: Yeah, we're missing out.
0: So let's just all move to Europe. Yeah. We won't get to have threads, but we'll get to have
8: cool phones. (laughs) Well, that works for me. (laughs) No one's talking to me on threads anyway.
0: (laughs) All right, Allison, thank you again. Appreciate you coming back. Thank you. All right, that's it for the show. Thank you to all of my Verge friends for helping answer questions. Thanks to everyone who called and emailed. And thank you, as always, for listening. If you have thoughts, questions, feelings, or devices you also want to upgrade but want to know how to do it, you can always email us at at vergecastattheverge.com or keep calling the hotline 866-VERGE-11. We'll probably do another full hotline episode before too long because we keep getting these great voicemails and emails, but also we're trying to answer at least one question every single week on the show. So keep them coming. Also, speaking of the hotline, we're getting an episode ready all about cybersecurity, and we're going to do a full-on call-in show answering your questions. So if you have a cybersecurity thing you can't figure out, big, small, whatever, or you have some crazy mystery you can't solve, which is even more fun, call the hotline 866-VERGE-11 or send us a voice memo to vergecast at theverge.com, and we'll get back to you if we think we can help. This show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. Brooke Minters is our Editorial Director of Audio. The Vergecast is a Verge production and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm out the rest of the week, but the rest of the Vergecast crew will be back on Friday to talk about all of the big news of the week, including whether Threads is still going to be a thing when I get back from vacation. See you then. Rock and roll.
3: It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva Presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva Presentations at Canva.com, designed for work.
1: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.